I want to quick give you a quick testimony. I believe it was last Monday or Tuesday. Tuesday. So if you remember, early, right after Thanksgiving, I said we were going to be working on trying to do some type of outreach with the Battered Women's Shelter of St. Bernard for Christmas, and we just could not get the communication right. I mean, we tried for weeks to get in touch with them and things like that. Well, they finally got in touch with us conveniently the Monday after our Christmas service. And many of you who have our church app, you got that push notification last Tuesday that we needed some help and we had a deadline, we had to get it done. I want to let you know that in less than 24 hours, $2,000 came in. And we brought, I can't even, the pictures are in my phone. I didn't get them sent in in time, but I will show you the pictures. I'll post them this week. The amount of stuff that we had, and Brandon and Hannah Wilson kind of headed up the shopping team. They went and brought it over there. It literally, they were, it was brought in sacks, like look, legit looked like Santa Claus sacks. Like they were so much stuff. So I want to say thank you because I know for a fact that they had a phenomenal Christmas that they otherwise wouldn't have had anything from we found out, that there was nothing else going on. So thank you. Those of you that gave, you're phenomenal. Those of you that couldn't give, it's all right. You're still part of the family. We all were involved in that investment. But I'm just so proud of a church that when a need rises up, boom, the need is met that quick. Amen? This morning I'm finishing a series, and I'm finishing with uh, a message that a lot of times the sermon that I preach, the Lord deals with me ahead of time, like weeks before I preach it. This one, he's been hitting me with it all week, all morning, all throughout the worship service, because rarely does this happen where what I'm going through in my personal life exactly connect with what's happening in the church. Doesn't always happen, and this morning I'm going to be preaching on that. title of my message is the last week of the Ordered series, but this one's called He's Been Involved All Along. He's Been Involved All Along. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're here. God, I ask that you would allow me to preach this message, strengthen my lungs. Let me speak this message, God, with truth and clarity. Let none of my own opinion come out, but all of you. Got to let people under the sound of my voice leave this place changed, wanting and knowing you more, full of confidence and hope that you've been working on their behalf all along. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Now, if you were here the past couple of weeks, we had the first part of the ordered series was about Mary and how the Lord ordered Mary into the impossible. She was a virgin and then she conceived. And that there are times that when God is leading and directing our path, he will lead us into what seems like an impossible situation. Then the next week, the next part of the series was ordered, how righteous are your steps? And we saw that when God is truly leading our steps, when he's ordering our steps, they're righteous. God leads the steps of a righteous man. Somebody who's not living for the Lord, he's not leading your steps. He's trying to get your heart first. And so this week, it's, he's been working all along. Now, before, um, we, I'm going to give you a little disclaimer. We're going to go a little deep this morning. We're going to get into some pretty interesting territory, some, some deep stuff. So if you like to study scripture, you came to church on the right morning. We're going to really kind of go in for a little bit today. But before I do that, I want to read you a passage of scripture that you'll hear more of next year because I really think that there's a real strength in it, this one passage. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read 18 verses to you this morning. And I want you to hang with me, and I want you to read it, follow along. If you don't know, people ask me all the time, this is not my message. People always ask me, Pastor Chris, I don't know what to read in my Bible. I never know what to read. Well, always, listen to me tell you this, always. If you don't know what to read, you can read Psalm 139, or you could read Romans 8. If you don't know what to read, go to those two verse, ch- chapters and just read those chapters. 
There have been many times in my life that I have read Psalm 139 for weeks in a row, and I've read, I've read Romans 8 one time for 31 days straight. I'll probably do it again in January, because Romans 8 is just that stuff. We're going to get to that in a minute. But I want to read to you Psalm 139 real quick. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. You know what that means? That means he, he knows all the things about you that you try to hide from everybody else. All your ways, he knows all of them. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. We're going to get into some of that stuff we can't really contain today. Where can I go from your spirits, what Pastor Jared was talking about? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell on the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You formed my inward parts, and you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet they were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And you know what? I'm just going to keep reading the rest of it. I'm going to flip to it. don't have it in my notes. But why would I just stop four chapters, four verses for the end, right? Hold on, come on, Bible, work with me here. There we go. Verse 19 says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. Well, David is just being brutally honest this morning. Count, I count them my enemies. But check out what he says in verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. I need you to understand something. You really think that after everything we just read, that there's nowhere you can go to flee from his presence, that if you go to the mountains or the heavens or you go to the depths of the earth, if you hide in the darkness, if you make your bed in hell... He says he'll find you, that the darkness and the, the day are the same to him. That he knows the numbers of hairs on your head, that he, he knit you together. When it says that you woven together in the dark places of the earth. When it talks about, talk about knitting, have you ever seen someone sew? My, my grandmother sews, or she used to sew. And I used to remember being amazed at how you could focus on something so intently. I've been taking those, my asthma steroids for a long time now, my inhaler, so my hands shake when I try to do something real little. Like, I can't... So you ought to see me try to try a fishing line. It's an act of Congress because I'm like, bruh, bruh, bruh. but it's amazing to me. And God says he knit you. Do you know how much detail is put into knitting? And yet scripture says he knit you together. It says that his thoughts for you 
are marvelous and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that every day of your life was written in his book before a single one came to be. If you read that with that much of investment, do you think for one moment that he's just going to quit working for you? Do you think for one second that after this much of an investment, this much of intent, this much of involvement in your life that he'll just stop working on you? He'll just take his hand off? No, no, no. He's been working all along. He's been working on your behalf all along. And I want you to be encouraged this morning that God has been working on you and for you since before you came to be. When you didn't think he was working, when it didn't feel like he was working, when you didn't think that there was anything going right, anything go- when you thought you were being the biggest sinner of the sinners in the sinner group, the whole nine, he was still working. And that right there, number one, I, I posted this on Facebook a few days ago, that Psalm 139 is the, I think, one of the best treatments for insecurity. Because when you read that the God of all creation talks about you and looks at you like this, how can you possibly be insecure? Because in all honesty, insecurity is just doubt at his creative power. Because it says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'll get into that in a minute. I don't want to get too preachy before I get started. I want to zoom in a little bit on verse 16. Psalm 139 verse 16. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. There's a couple of words I want to translate here. The word unformed is translated as rolled up. And when I was reading these commentaries, I saw something I had never seen before. I love when that happens. When I'm reading the Bible and I see something that I'm like, wait, I've been reading this my whole life. I love Psalm 139. I hope to have it memorized the whole chapter one day. I started trying to and then got distracted. But I want to have the whole thing memorized. And I, I've read this so many times, but I, I learned something studying for this that I had never seen before. When it says that you saw my substance yet unformed, what it said, the translation there is rolled up. But every commentary that I read said that all historians and just about all of them and most, of, most theologians and writers are studying it, they're almost positive that David is speaking to a baby in the, in the womb. It's speaking of a baby in, in the uterus, like in the sack. Right? We, we can see those pictures. Now, you see the ultrasounds. You've seen the pictures on the internet when, the, when they take the baby out and they're doing work on the mother and you see the baby in the sack. The baby's rolled up. baby's not formed completely yet. What I find amazing is there's only like one or two ways that David would have known that that's even the case unless God just showed him and told him that's what it is. But that's what it's referring to, that God saw my substance yet unformed, that God saw me when for these people, that's the deepest, darkest place because you couldn't see that. They had no ultrasounds, right? The only way that they probably saw it is if some type of tragic birth situation or if they, a woman died and they did an autopsy of some kind, they cut the womb open. Like that would have been the only way they would have seen the baby in the sack. And yet David is saying, you saw me in my, you saw my substance yet unformed. You saw me in that place at that moment and... All the days fashioned for me were written in your book. So what that tells me is that when God, he started working on me before I was formed. He started working on me before I was even in the womb. See, God knew my purpose and then built my body around it. He formed my body around it. So what that should do right there is that should let you know that any weakness you have is on purpose. Any weakness you have. I am not good at math. That's on purpose. 
I am not good at sports. That's on purpose. 11-year-old Chris did not appreciate that. But it was on purpose. Those weaknesses, they're on purpose. Why? I don't know yet. But I will find out as I grow. But it says he saw my substance being yet unformed. And then when he looks, he didn't just see my substance, but he saw all the days fashioned or built together or constructed for me before any of them that came to be. You know what that tells me? Is anybody pregnant? Haley's pregnant. Stand up for me real quick, if, that, if you can. Right? So right now, we look at Haley, and we can see that Haley is with child. Right? Everybody gets excited, and everybody's all happy. I got me another nephew coming, praise the Lord. But see, when, when, when we see, we get expectation, we get excitement, we can't wait to see first steps, we can't wait to enjoy Caleb as he grows. Like We were looking forward to doing all those things. What God sees is God looks and God sees Caleb's 59th birthday. When God looks, God sees what, what, what that baby's going to do for college. What God sees is who his children will be and who his grandchildren will be. Why? Because God sees all the days fashioned for that baby before he's ever come to be. They're written in his book. You can't, you can sit down. Well, you can't tell me that God is not invested in you. He's been invested in you before your mama could even be invested in you. And I'm not just talking about the good Christians. I'm talking about every human being. Because we're created, and this is free, we're created in the image and likeness of God, but we're born into sin. So God has been working on you since the moment your process started. He's been preparing you. He's had his hand on you. We have to understand that that right there needs to get rid of this whole lack of value, this insecurity, this I'm not good enough, this God can't do nothing with me. God's been doing something with you the whole time. You just don't realize it. He's been involved. Secondly, you cannot, hear me out, you cannot read this, believe it, and be pro-choice. It's impossible. Because if we agree that he saw my substance yet being unformed and all the days were fashioned from before none of them came to be, then you understand that there's something eternal in that womb. There's something with a purpose in that womb. There's something with a calling and with a future and with a destiny in that womb. So you, they, they are mutually exclusive. They cannot coexist. We could, we could say it on surface level to be politically correct in certain spheres, but you cannot make those two things reconcile because Scripture is so abundantly clear that God is involved, not just in the womb, but with the baby in the womb for decades. God knows what he's doing. Amen? Not only, I learned a, a cool word I want to share with you. I had to call Michelle Forche because I needed, I needed a really smart Brit, uh, English mind and I am not a smart English mind. Have you ever heard the term periphrastically? Anybody? <laughs> I'm teaching y'all English this morning. It's never happened before. Periphrastically is an English term mostly used in poetry. But it's the, it's the, it's the act of using more words to describe a difficult subject or something hard to explain. So David is writing this, and he's, like the Jewish writers knew, he don't know really what he's trying to say. He's just taking his best shot at explaining it. Because there's a mystery to this verse 
about all our days being fashioned before we ever came to be. There's mystery in that. Like that's some, that's some deep stuff we're going to get into in a minute. That David's like, I'm just letting y'all know, like this is what I believe God's saying and God's doing. But I don't know if I get it all either. Because now, 1 Corinthians says, now we know in part, but then we shall see him as he really is when we're with him. So there's, let me tell you something right now. There are going to be things about Christianity you don't get. There's going to be things about God you don't understand. There's going to be things that you're like, God, why did that happen? I don't know. But if I have to know all the answers to serve Jesus, I don't know Jesus. And I have no faith in him. It's trusting him in spite of the things I don't know that makes us who we are. Can we go a little bit deeper? Thank you. I'm, I'm going anyway. I was hoping you are with me. Let's look at the second half of that verse. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, as yet none of, as yet there were none of them. The days fashioned or planned beforehand. God is omniscient and God is omnipresent, which means God knows everything and God is everywhere. Now, again, y'all got to hang with me because we're going to have a little fun this morning. Is that okay? Okay, cool. Thank you for answering. I like the communication back and forth. I don't want to give a lecture. He's omniscient. He knows everything, and he's omnipresent that he is everywhere. But a lot of times when we hear those terms or we have that discussion, our minds automatically think that God knows everything and is everywhere right now. Like he's in India, and he's in China, and he's in Boston, and he's in Mexico City, which is true. But what we have to remember is that God is not limited to time. So that when it says that God is omniscient and omnipresent, it doesn't just mean that he's all-knowing and he's everywhere right now. He knows everything that there's ever been and ever will be, and he is everywhere that has ever been or ever will be. Like, your brain might hurt a little bit when we finish some of this stuff, right? But remember, David's like, I don't get it either. I'm just telling you what the truth is. Y'all hang with me here because I don't know if I get it all either. I just know it's true. But he's everywhere and knows everything. Well, Pastor Chris, how can God fashion for me my days, write them in a book before they ever came to be? That sure sounds like determinism. That sure sounds like he just, we're just robots. And he decides and we have no option. We have no free will. I want to tell you right now, that's one of the biggest lies that's ever been introduced to Christianity. There is an entire branch of Christianity called Calvinism, which believes that you have no choice at all. Jesus decided who's going to be saved and who isn't, and you have no option whether or not you're saved or not. And I'm going to let you know it's a lie, and it gets me aggravated. And I'm not going to preach aggravated, but I'm just letting you know that ain't what we believe here. The Bible says that God so loved the world that whosoever believes... Whosoever, the word is pas, that's all, everybody, individually, anybody, whosoever. But it says here that he fashioned these days before I ever came to be. So there is some type of tension here between God knowing everything and me still having free will, right? Let's keep going a little bit. Yeah, I'm having fun. I don't know if you are, but I'm having a lot of fun right now. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I've actually never preached this in a sermon before. I've preached, taught it in like classes, never actually preached it. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and to those who are called, don't go to the next verse yet, according to his purpose. You've all heard that. You've probably all taught it, quoted, posted it, sang it, because this is a popular verse of Scripture. 
right? It is a poppy verse of scripture. What a lot of times we do, though, and I love it and it also annoys me, right, is we like to take scriptures that we like, take them and, like, live by that one. Not the ones that came before it or the ones that come after it. When these things are written as letters, they're written together on purpose. So the ones before it matter to this one and the ones after it. Well, I don't have the ones before, but I'll just tell you what they are. It talks about them. When we do not know what to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groans that cannot be uttered. And what he does is he prays the perfect will of God for our lives. So when you hear somebody praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues, as, as would be the more popular term for it, what that is is that is the Holy Spirit praying through me the perfect will of God for my life. But then we get to this verse, and we know that he works all things together. Well, why does he work all things together? Because I'm praying, I'm involved, and I'm going along with what he's doing. I'm working with him. I'm a part of what he's doing. He works all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And we stop right there and we say amen. Y'all want to read one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible when I'm talking about studying in scripture? It's the next verse. Next two verses. Go to 29. For whom he foreknew. Oh, this is so fun. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Keep going. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. You've got to understand something here that God is so much bigger than you think he is. He's so much more powerful. He's so much more knowing. He's so much more in control than you could ever possibly fathom. Yet, we still have responsibility. That's the part where I'm like, I know it's there. They're both true. I don't necessarily get it all, but it's true. Now, let's look at these words here. Go to verse 29. For whom he foreknew. Foreknew is the term foreknowledge. Foreknowledge literally means to know beforehand. To know beforehand. Now, how many of you have seen The Lion King? If you have kids... That are 90s babies, you saw the Lion King. If you have kids that are 2000 babies, you saw the Lion King. If you have kids that are 2010 babies and they have not seen the Lion King, you repent for being a bad parent. But right now, if I played you a clip of the Lion King, any part of the movie, maybe about the water and hole, right? And Pumbaa's singing or something. And I paused it and I gave the mic to any of you. You'd be able to tell me most likely what happened coming up to that point in the movie and what's going to happen next in that part of the movie. Why? Because you've seen it before. Did you determine what's going to happen in that movie? No. You've just seen it before so you know what's about to happen in the movie. Right? My favorite movie of all time, don't like the language in it, but my favorite movie of all time is Saving Private Ryan. You could blindfold me, starve me for a week. You could, you could beat me up. And if you put me in front of a TV at any moment in that movie, I could tell you what's happened before. I could tell you what's happened next. And I'll quote it for you without the curse words. Because I've seen it so many times. Because it's my favorite movie. But even though I have foreknowledge, it doesn't mean that I decided what was going to happen. I just knew what was going to happen. This verse of scripture helps us understand that God saw everything that was ever going to happen everything think about that for a second that's how big he is 
He knew every factor and facet and detail of your life from the moment it started. He knew all of this before he said, let there be light. It's how big God is. When you realize how big God is and how small you are, and then you factor in he loves you and cares for you as much as he does and he's as big as he is, it really makes you feel good about yourself. But he foreknew. He saw this out in the distance. Now, you know what else that means? That in his foreknowledge, he knew if you were going to serve Jesus or not. Because he saw all of time. The best analogy I've ever heard is God looks at time the way we look at a book. We look at, right here, we look at the F here at the top of my Bible, and they got a, an S at the last letter on the page. I can look and I can see both of these things at the same time. Even though when I read them, I read them line in order, right? When God looks at time, God looks at 1882 over here, and then he sees 2043 over here. He sees them all happening at the same time because God operates outside of time. He's not limited to the constructs of time like you and I are. Does that make sense? All right, let's keep going a little bit. So he foreknew, he saw from the dawn of time who was going to be faithful and who wasn't. He knew, he foreknew. Did not determine, but he foreknew. He saw that Jared, I think it was in 99, was it 99 when you got saved? Pastor Jared got saved in 99. He saw what was going to happen leading up to that point. He saw 1999, and he saw everything since, and he saw the next 50 years, or whatever it is of Jared's life, he saw it already. Because all of our days have been fashioned for us, and they're already written in his book before they came to be. How did he do that? Well, he saw it. But notice how it says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, the word predestined is pro-orizzo, which means to determine beforehand. See, now we're getting into some weird stuff. Like, wait, Pastor Chris, you said he didn't determine beforehand. No, no, he did. After he knew. So here's how this works. God foreknew. I'm going to use Jared because Jared talked about it. Before God said, let there be light, because there's a verse of scripture. I can't remember where it's at right now, but it says that Christ was crucified before the foundations of the world. So before all of this came to be, Jesus died on the cross. It was decided that was going to happen because God saw it. God saw Pastor Jarrett. What year were you born? 1980. So in 3000 BC, God knew that in 1980, Jarrett Miller would be born. But when God didn't just know Jarrett was going to be born... God saw every possible scenario. He saw every possible event. He saw every possible situation and saw that Jared's going to remain faithful. Because he saw the end. That's why the Bible calls him the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. And so when he saw that Jared's going to be faithful, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He said, ah, Jared's going to be faithful, so I can predestine my purpose for man, my purpose, the things I want to get done, I can purpose them through Jared because Jared's going to remain faithful. See, we, people ask questions all the time about Pharaoh. Like, well, you know, Pharaoh or, or King Saul was anointed by God. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel and he was king of Israel. He was a righteous king for two years, then lost his mind for 38 and ended up like just totally screwing everything up. But God chose him. Yeah, and God chose him. Because he foreknew that King Saul wouldn't be able to say no to temptation. So he predestined a purpose through King Saul that would allow King David to come. Because God's been working at this all along. We need to be able to understand 
that God knows whether you're going to finish the race or not. Paul says in 2 Timothy, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. God knows already. He know, I don't know. I can make a decision right now that I'm staying for Jesus, but you know that i got to make that decision. i got to keep making that decision. i got to remain faithful, right? But as long as I remain faithful to him, he's faithful to me, and he holds me, and he carries me when I can't walk anymore. And he gets me through things that should not be able to be gotten through. And, and things that I don't see coming, he sees them coming and he gets me through them. Because he foreknew and then he saw, I'm a predestined my purpose through you. People talk about, man, how can, how can a good God allow evil things? How can a good God allow Adolf Hitler? God didn't allow Adolf Hitler. God knew what Hitler was going to do, so he predestined a purpose through Hitler. What do you mean? That means that God was still in control because God was working all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. Well, Pastor Chris, what if the economy collapses? He works all things together. Why? Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. You realize that you've been foreknown and you've been predestined. God's been working on you. You didn't get here because you just woke up and smelled coffee and came to church. God's been working on you to get you here this morning to this church, whether this is your first time or you've been coming here since before I was born. He's been working on getting you where you are right now since before time began because he has always been involved. Those who before knew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What does that mean? Is that he saw you're going to be faithful, so he predestined his purpose to come through your life to conform you and make you like Jesus we got to remember something. Christianity is not about you getting to heaven. It's you being like Jesus. What, what, where we mess up is we make Christianity about us and what blessings I have and, and, and how great my life is. I don't know about you. Talk to somebody who's been serving Jesus for a while and they'll tell you life isn't always great. God always is. But it's not about me. It's not about whether my life is good. I was talking to Josh Snyder before service. We, if I could change and get anything into the mind of a Christian, is that y'all ain't about us. That hard time you're going through, yes, it's in there to work a purpose out in you and to pull something fresh out in you, but it's also so somebody else can see you go through something that would crush them, see something in you and ask what that thing is. What is getting you through that? What is allowing you to go through infertility for so long? What is allowing you to, to deal with an addict husband or an addict spouse? What is allowing you to deal with the death of that person or the, the fine? What is allowing? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I'm not special. I'm just loved by the most high God himself. And I just let him work in my life. Those who be foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those who he predestined, keep going. Verse 30. He also called, those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. What that means is that, y'all, the whole process, he's been working the whole time. He called you. David says in Psalm 40, he picked me up out of the miry clay. He called you. You were, Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in sin. Dead. He called your name and you put your faith in him. Because faith is not a work. You put your faith in him. And he picked you up out of the Maori clay and he set your feet upon a rock. He knew when that was going to happen. He knew when that was going to happen. 
I can remember being a youth pastor, and I can remember preaching every single week and having that one kid come, maybe one kid isn't like, you know, 100, but having that one kid come every week and sit there, and I know they need to get their life for Jesus. I know they got to come to the front. I know they got to make a decision. I know something's got to happen, and they just never did do it. And I'd want to kick them every week. Like, boy, you know I'm talking to you. This, I should, sometimes I wanted to put at the top of the sermon, this sermon is for so-and-so. The title is. But I can't do that because that's mean. It's frowned upon. But then one week, you write a sermon, you, you pray, you see God, you write a sermon that you think, you know, this thing going to do nothing. And sure enough, he comes to the front crying at the end. And I'm like, out of all the sermons I preached, this is the one that gets him? Yeah, you know why? Because God foreknew what was going to happen, where his life would be. And so he predestined purpose that that week that I would have a stomach virus, couldn't study like I should, had to pull something out of the book from four years ago. But when that's the message this kid needed, not the one I thought he did. Because God's been ordering everything. If you were here two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I didn't preach the message I had. So there was supposed to be another message preached this morning that's not going to get preached. Why? Because apparently there's somebody here this morning that didn't need to hear that one, needed to hear this one, so God had to come screw up my schedule for you. So whoever you are, thanks. Because my schedule's a mess now. And I got that one sermon I got to find a way to stick in. No, I'm just kidding. But he's been involved all along. Do you understand something? You got you to catch something. This, this, this is good, y'all. This is real good. He was involved when you weren't even on his team. See, a lot of times, and I used to preach this, and I wish I could go back and rebuke myself, correct my faulty teaching. I used to preach that a lot of times when we would sin, it would be like we would go in his room and God would wait outside. No. Mm-mm. That scripture that says in the, when two or three are gathered together in his name, he's there in the midst of them, that is not a scripture referring to the presence of God coming in our services. We use it for that because it's technically true. In all honesty, what that verse is, is that verse is letting you know that where two or three are gathered, he's there in the midst. What that means is wherever two or three are gathered, he's present. And when he's present, he's a witness, which means he can be the judge. So when two or three are gathered, and if you're a believer, guess who's with you? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. you got three witnesses, everything you do. All the time. There's nothing hidden from his sight at all. Because he's got three witnesses the whole time. Plus you. Plus whoever you're sinning with. All kind of witnesses. And he's still working. And I could give the mic to other people to tell you the stories. I'll just tell you mine. I got hurt by the church senior year of high school. You've heard me say this. And I ran from Jesus. I wanted nothing to do with church. Didn't mind God. Hated his kids. Seriously, I did not like church people at all. Sometimes I still don't, but I have to because I'm a pastor. <laughs> y'all laughing like y'all don't know it's true. Self-righteous. No, I'm just kidding. But, and I remember... It was the Saturday of Endemian. I was marching in Mardi Gras parades. Mom didn't want me to march in Endemian. I had every intent on marching in Endemian. And I woke up and tried to sneak out the house. And my mom likes to sleep in on Saturdays, especially as we got older because Cody and Cliff didn't let her sleep for like eight years. I was a good kid, just to let y'all know. 
So she's, she's probably still catching up on sleep from Cody and Cliff. But she woke up early that Saturday. Of all the Saturdays to wake up early, I'm the one I'm trying to sneak out and go do my thing. That's the one she gets up early to do dishes or something. Like, come on, stop being responsible this week and save it for next Saturday. But she wakes up. Here I am trying to sneak out. Where are you going? Ensues massive fight between mom and dad. I mean, mom and son. We are, and we loud. I don't know if you know this, but we're loud people. So we're going at it. And my dad is not loud unless he absolutely has to be. And then he like gets loud for a second and then loses all volume again. And he got loud and like got her attention because he was getting bad between the two of us. And my dad kind of jumps in the middle and I just took my opportunity and just ran out the door. Went to the school. I'll tell you how God works. Mama was doing everything that she knew she was supposed to do. She'd been praying. She was standing on the word. She wouldn't want me to compromise. She wasn't going to let me just go be involved in sin. She was fighting because she loved me. And that's what mamas do. They fight and they claw and they do whatever they got to do, even when it's ugly. And you know what? Some might say what she did was wrong. No, I'm standing here in front of you right now saying what she did was right, even though it didn't technically do what she thought it was going to do. She fought and said, you're not going. I said, watch me. Boom, ran out the door. I was playing a baritone sax, big, nasty, ugly saxophone in Endemian. We're marching down Canal Street. There's a turn on Canal Street, the parade turn. I don't know if it still does, but it turned on the St. Charles Avenue. If you've been to St. Charles, the street does like this. And there's the Royal St. Charles Hotel. And there was a stand on the side. And it's, I mean, it's packed. It's loud. It's absolutely insane. We turn, and we are jamming. The place is going nuts. All of a sudden, everything goes quiet. And the Holy Spirit says, I didn't give you this gift of music to use it here. About three seconds later, all the volume comes back. I'm not playing, obviously, because I'm like, God just spoke. The drum major's like, bro, what are you doing? I'm like, uh, uh, uh. Finally able to start playing again, go home that night, get on my knees, repent, give my life back to Jesus, say, I'm sorry for being mad at you for something your kids did. Because he was working all along. See, had I stayed home that day, I wouldn't have had that encounter even though I shouldn't have been in the place to have the encounter. But God has been involved all along. He's been working all along. So think about it this way. Think of all, just, I don't want to glorify the flesh, but I want you to think of all the stupid things you've done, just for like, Three and a half seconds. Like, just think of all of the dumb stuff that doesn't honor God, right? Just, it ain't pretty. And yet, you're still here. You're still saved. You're still full of the Holy Ghost. You're still reading your word. You're still involved in the local church ministry. You're still advancing the kingdom. And you were that dumb. You were that lost. Think about all of those years... He was involved in your life working and you were working against him. Imagine what he can do when you start working with him. If he's able to do all of that with the mess that you were doing, imagine what happens when you say, no, I'm going to play on your team now. I'm going to get involved with what you're doing. Here's my question for you. What are you going to do in 2022 to be involved in what God's doing, not just thankful for what he's done? Because he's been working all along. Can we go a little bit deeper? You don't mind? Thank you, Frank. I appreciate it. Loving the support. I want you guys to leave with hope this morning that he's been working all along and he's still working. 
Job 23, 8 is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, your right hand works and I do not see it. Your left hand moves, yet I perceive it not. Do you know that God's ambidextrous? He's ambidextrous. Scripture talks about his right hand all the time, but his left hand, they don't mention it much. Why? Because his left hand's doing stuff we can't see. His right hand's working on you, but his left hand's preparing where you're headed. So some of you are like, man, when am I going to get married? God's working on you with his right hand. He's working on that person with his left. God, I need, I, got, I need a new job. I need a new job. Well, God's working on your integrity with his right hand at this job. And God's getting ready to get somebody else to retire or get laid off at this other one. But what happens, we don't submit to the right hand of God, so God's got to hold things back with his left hand while the right hand continues doing what we need him to do. Right? Because he's been involved all along. Now, remember a minute ago, I talked about how we foreknew and that God operates outside of time. Y'all hang on with me, right? Let's go a little bit further and that. Go to 2 Peter for me, chapter 3. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Don't go any further. I want to let you know right now, don't ask me a question about what that verse means other than God don't work inside time. I have, that verse is just one of them verses that I'm like, I'm going to read it and I'm going to believe it. But a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Keep going. But check out verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Think about it. Well, a lot of times we think we're waiting on God. No, Darwin, he's waiting on you. And he's long-suffering in his waiting on you. Waiting on me. He's long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God exists outside of time, but he works in it. Because we're in it. Lamentations 3 says that, Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, for your mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. But he operates outside of time. Y'all, when, when the Lord taught me this, I had a whole another level of peace come into my life. And I hope it does the same for you it did for me. If you've heard me preach this, I hope you get a fresh revelation of it this morning. But it says that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some consider slackness, but he's long-suffering with us. Because he desires that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. He's working. He's been involved all along. But he works outside of time. But his mercies are new every morning. I want to tell you something. God is already in tomorrow waiting on you. His mercies are waiting for you tomorrow. His grace is waiting for you tomorrow. Have you ever, um, have you ever, that's a rhetorical because you have. I know you have because I know you because you're like me. You ever ask the question, I don't know how I'm ever going to handle that. Like I can remember like I, I, as a minister you have the, it's a privilege, but it's also a very difficult privilege of doing funerals. And I've, I've done many funerals for elderly couples where one spouse goes and the other one's still here. And I can remember standing there thinking to myself, how in the world am I ever going to do that if Caitlin goes first? How am I going to stand at the casket of my spouse? How's that, how is that going to happen? That makes no sense. I can't fathom it and, and I don't understand it. Well, guess what? I'm not supposed to because I'm not there yet. But guess who is? God. You might be 15 years old. God's already in your 50s. And he's waiting for you to get there with all of his grace, all of his mercy, all of his faithfulness, all of his power, all of his goodness is waiting for you in your 50s. He's waiting for you 
for the next big financial battle you're in. Standing in a kitchen trying to figure it out, God's already there. You might not be there yet, but he is. He's waiting for you there. Why? Because he's outside of time. But he's already involved. He's already ahead. Here's something for young people. God is already at the end of your life. He's already at the end of your life. He's already at the end of all of our lives because none of us are, at the, we might think we're at the end, but we don't know because God knows the day of the time. God's already there. I don't have to figure out how I'm going to be able to handle if my wife passes first. I just got to stay close to Jesus because when I wake up and that happens, he was there already. Waiting for me to get there. He's waiting for you in your 50s. He's waiting for you in your 90s. He's at the funeral of your parents. He's in the middle of the night praying for your sick kid. He's in the kitchen wrestling with marriage or financial problems. And he's even in the twilight of your life battling loneliness and irrelevance. He is there already with all of who he is. And when we understand that the God that we serve, he's walking with me day after day after day, but we got to realize that he's also waiting for me to get in the future. Man, that makes me sleep easier. You know what my, my responsibility is? I got to stay close to Jesus. That's it. There's an old psalm that says, hold to God's unchanging hand. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Fix your hopes on things eternal. Hold the God's unchanging hand. We got to realize that he's already working. Like we sang, even when I don't see it, you don't see him working in your twilight years yet because you're not in him. And some of you might be, but guess what? God is already six months from now. He's already there working on your behalf. You just got to get there. You just got to get there. One of my favorite hymns is Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. The chorus is, Jesus, Jesus, how I've trusted him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er, over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. That's the key to this whole thing, is Jesus. You don't have to know the answers. You don't have to know all the questions. You don't have to be the most biblically knowledgeable. You don't have to be the best prayer warrior. You got to be somebody who knows, I just need to hold on to Jesus. I'm a hold on to Jesus in my 30s. I'm a hold on to him in my 40s. I'm a hold on to him in my 50s. Because guess what? One day you're going to wake up in the middle of your 50s or your 60s or your 70s. And you're going to say, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. But I know he's going to get me through it because he got me through my 20s and my 30s and my 40s and my 50s. See, people don't understand that it's the long game that makes this thing the best. It's staying faithful to him that makes it so much sweeter. Because not only do we get to live life with him, but we get to look back and see how faithful he's been to somebody as low down and dirty and nasty as me. His faithfulness has been so real. His faithfulness has been so true. He's never left my side. He's never turned his back on me. He never forgot about me. I've been young and now that I'm old, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. It's never happened and it never will. Because he 
has a lifetime and an eternity of perfect integrity, of flawless perfection. And he will not, under any circumstances, ruin his reputation on you or me. We just got to stay faithful. Because he's been involved all along. And as much, you got to, I want you to catch this and we're going to leave. Everything that he's done for you so far, all of the work you've seen him do, all of the things he's done, all the miracles he's done, all the power that you've seen, that's only going to continue where you're headed. You just got to keep walking. Bow your heads from this morning.